Also, you want to put your prayer requests in as that comes by. Uh, well, we are in the fifth part of a series that I honestly have just been really personally enjoying. I just love digging into the stories. I love digging into to all of these big narrative passages of the Old Testament that get into these people that trusted God. And so on the front side, Abraham did not have this little written Bible that we have to be able to look and, and, and do like we sang about and take him at his word as far as this, the, his, his written word and be able to do that. And, and that's, we're at a really blessed place. And Abraham just had to hear God speak and have it resonate in his heart and step forward and trust God. And, and this week we're going to look at another person that did it. We're going to look at Moses. And Moses is a pivotal, pivotal figure. If you remember, last week we looked at Joseph. And Joseph had a dream, and it looked like over and over and over again that his dream was just no way possibly going to take place. And then all of a sudden, man, things just came together. And there it was, fulfilled. And and all of these ugly things that took place in his life, God used them to take care and bless his whole family. And it was absolutely amazing. And Joseph... And God's hand being on Joseph is what carries the family of <clears throat> Jacob, of Israel, into Egypt. And they live there and live a really blessed, cushy life for a while. And then things turn south and things turn ugly. And we advance 430 years and now we get to the story of Moses. And Joseph is a pivotal character that got them into that place of Egypt. And Moses is the pivotal character and the person that gets them out of Egypt all of those centuries later. Well, let's go ahead and get into your notes. It says, The faith of those who have gone before us shows us what it means to know God better and to trust Him more. And we've looked at this scripture over and over again because this is what kind of stirs us up and makes us want to look back through the cross and see all of these that have gone before us and hear what they have to say. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Well, what's that great cloud of witnesses? Well, we've looked at it. It's all those that have gone before. It's the forerunners. It's those who've, who've done this and already finished their race. And they're there cheering us on. We, we get this mental picture of this big arena, this big sports thing. And we're running and we're, we're running our race and we're doing our laps. And we've got this great crowd of witnesses cheering us on, saying, letting us know God's for us and, and, and that he's faithful and all of these great things that echo throughout history. But what we've done in this series is we've isolated each week one of those witnesses. Because in the big crowd, all they are is the big, yay, exciting cheer. But we're isolating them, we're acting like they've kind of come out and they're going to run a lap with us. And they're going to encourage us as we get weary, as, we get, as things get difficult sometimes in the different things that God has called us to do. And today we're looking at Moses. And if Moses was to come out and, and he was to come out and run a lap with us, then when we hit a place that our problems overwhelm us, when we hit this place where your problems overwhelm I really, really believe that Moses would just tell us to finally to just do this, to just abandon safe 
and to live by faith. So many times when problems come, the first thing we want to do is we want to shore up. We want to hole up and we want to build a little fortress. And it's like, man, everything's coming against us. And we just want to hole up. And that is not the thing that we need to do. God has called us to advance. He's called us to take this place. The the New Testament says the kingdom of God takes the enemy's gates. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. The kingdom of God uh, suffereth violence. And the violent turn around. It doesn't mean that we're to be violent like physically violent. It's this intensity. It's this thing that we're not going to sit back and passively go. We're going to jump into the middle of the fray. And Moses would tell us, don't sit there and try to figure out how to safen up your life. Figure out what the voice of God is saying and to live by faith. Now, we're not going to take it for granted that everybody in here knows the story of Moses. Most of us have this picture that we have Moses and he's got the cool beard, you know, we may have seen the little cartoon where he's messing with his friend fishing. You know, he's parted the pond, and, but he's got no water. And, and so we've, we've seen some of the little things, and, but we may not know the full story of Moses. So just quickly, what I want to say, Moses' whole life begins pretty dramatically. See, the Hebrew people had grown in the place of Egypt to a place that they were strong, that they were used as slaves and their numbers started coming up really, really strong. Well, guess what? When somebody has an opinion that you're a lesser class, that all of a sudden you don't matter, well, then it's not a big deal in their minds to begin to try to use some population control and to begin to kill off the children. And Pharaoh had decided when Moses was coming along that the people it was time for them to control this deal and it's like you know what we can let all the little baby girls live that's okay but we're going to take out all the baby boys you know what uh a long time later when jesus was coming upon the scene there was a king who was afraid And he made an edict that said, you know what? Kill all of the little boys two years and under. Jesus made it through the attack. Moses makes it through the attack. And Moses' mama carries him and she just just recognized and knew that there was this something special growing in her womb. And she wouldn't allow things to take place. So she made sure the delivery took place in such a way that the baby was born. And, and she takes him and she puts him inside of this basket that we see. And she covers it in tar and does something that just seems pretty wild to us. Okay? And she sticks them in, this, in his own personal little ark and sticks him in the bulrushes. I know that the, the little movie makes for, the little animated movie, it makes for this cool dramatic opening scene as this little thing is floating down the Nile and hippos are bumping it and all this crazy stuff is happening. She didn't float him down like some sort of sacrifice and just sit, walk, you know, watch her little baby boy float away with tears in her eyes. She stuck him in the bulrushes. She stuck him in all the reeds. All that stuff, could, all the water could flow by, and he wasn't going anywhere. And she strategically placed him where the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of the land, would come to bathe. 
Then she puts her little girl Miriam up there and watching. Sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter comes down. She has all her handmaidens. She's sitting there, and she spies the little thing in the bushes. And she sends one of her servants and says, Hey, go check that out. What's happening over there? What's in there? And they pull it open, and oh my goodness, it's a baby. It's a little Hebrew baby. And she sits there, and they look at it, and and all of a sudden now she has this rescuing mother's heart. And she says, you know what, bring that over here. And Miriam pipes up, Moses' older sister, and says, Hey, I know of a Hebrew mom who can be the wet nurse and take care of this baby while it's needing to be taken care of and fed. And all of a sudden now, Moses' mom is being paid by the government to be able to take care of her own little boy that was supposed to be executed upon birth. And he is living inside of the Pharaoh's house. This takes place and he's groomed and becomes the, and raised as a son in Pharaoh's house. And he's hidden and he's saved and he grows up there. And at some point he finally begins to recognize. And I believe it's the echoes of his mama whispering in his ear all this different time. That, you, that there is something amazing about you. God has set you apart. And there's something special for your people. And he lives and he's educated and he grows up. And he has the best of everything because he lives in the king's house. But he sees the abuse of his people and it drives him crazy. And at about 40 years old, he finally can't take it anymore. And he feels this sense that he needs to do something about the way the Hebrew people, the Jewish people are being treated. And he sees one of the Egyptians beating one of his Hebrew brethren relentlessly because he wasn't carrying his load ride or whatever. And he's just smacking him and beating him. And he just loses it. And he goes over there and he takes and he beats the guy to death. And he kills this Egyptian. And this thing that said, I've got to do something about it. And it rises up. And he, he, just, he takes a life. He murders a man. He freaks out and he buries him in the sand. And then he goes on about his business like nothing happened. Then the next day or so, he sees two of his Hebrew, Hebrew brethren. And they're fighting it out and they're beating the crud out of each other. He's like, you've got enough problems with the oppression of the Egyptians Why on earth are you beating each other up? This is stupid. You're beating your own worst enemy. you got enough problems. And he gets in the middle of their stuff. And you know what they do? He said, who made you the ruler over us? Why are you getting in the middle of our stuff? Man, you got it easy. You got to sit up. You have no idea what's going on in our lives. You're going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? See, Moses thought he got away with it. Moses thought he hit it. Moses thought that all of those guys would be thankful for this act of service that he did. And he recognized that this thing was not a secret. And he was going to have to pay for this murder he did. And it's at that point Moses bolts. And he leaves. He runs out. He goes out into the desert and begins to do the very thing that all of the other Hebrews did. The Hebrews were shepherds. Which in the land of Egypt made you despised. You were lower than low if you were a shepherd. He goes out and he starts being a shepherd out there. And then we pick up. We pick up where we're going to read right here. Exodus 3 verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. 
And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mount of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? Just normal curiosity. Here's a bush. Here's a plant. There's flames all over it, but it's not doing its cool little crackling, withering, all the leaves going right. It's just sitting there. It just looks like a bush on fire. He's like, this is crazy. I'm going to go check this out. He goes over there, and God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Now, I'm telling you, if a burning bush spoke to me, I'm not sure I would have replied like Moses. I'd have probably been, oh, see ya. This is freaky. But he says, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. I, I, I wouldn't have needed that instruction. <laughs> Woo, I'm pretty good right where I'm at. I don't need that one. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And this was a place of humility and a place of recognition. That he was in a place that was greater than him. And he takes his sandals off. And then the Lord said, in, <clears throat> I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. See, this thing that drove you to murder a man. The, the misery and you getting in the middle of their fight. I've seen it too. It's bothered me too. I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses had it easy in the house of Pharaoh, got stirred up, Got stirred up, ready to do something about it. It did not go the way he thought it was going to go. And then he runs off. And now he's safe and secure out in the desert. He's just tending the sheep. All's good. He's got a wife, father-in-law he gets along with, kids. He's okay. Life is okay. It's not the Pharaoh's house. But I don't have the pressures and I don't see the pain every day. And I can just hide out here. And see, in that place, Moses had a decision to make. That he could either recognize the stir that had been in his heart all this time. And that now it was time to do something about it and trust God. Knowing that if he went back, there was a murder charge he was facing. That he had abandoned these that had opened up their home to him. Things were not going to be pretty when he went home. And that the people the last time he knew wanted nothing to do with him being a leader. He had to trust God and to go back. But Moses understood a few things. And first he understood that safe will keep you trapped in the past. You try to shore up and you're going to stay stuck in the past. In this, the past, your regrets, your mistakes, all of these different things will tether you and put these concrete shoes on you where you can't go anywhere at all 
where you're just stuck there. You can't move on. You can't move past. One of my favorite stories to relay about just getting, getting stuck and, and that old things that hurt you be in pain today because you don't let them go. My <clears throat> papa has uh, been an avid golfer for his whole life. And um, just would golf, it's done night golf, golfed a ton of times. He's actually made two hole-in-ones on par threes. I mean, you, most golfers can golf their whole life and never get one. He's had two. He spent a ton of time on the golf course. Well, you've got clubs flying, balls flying. You know, same guy who's going to get, um, you know, a hole-in-ones is going to get probably some of the negative stuff that can happen out on a golf course. And one time, he lives there in Andrews, Texas, and he was on the old number one tee box, he would always say. And uh, he'd always, I forget the guy's name, but he would tell me every time, and say, that guy was setting up to hit that ball, and he shanks it. And he says, oh, I towed the ball. He towed the ball. And that, sit there with a driver, the ball comes off, and instead of flying down the fairway, shanks over and nails my grandfather at about 50 feet away in the chest. Bam! Just hits him right in the chest. And of course it hurt. And it left a big old bruise on him. When he'd sit there, my papa was a storyteller. I come by it honestly. And he just would tell that story. And my papa likes for you to get the full feeling of it. To understand it. And so he was sitting there and about six months later he was telling this story to somebody else for who knows how many times he'd told it. And um, I like to tell the same stories over and over again. And... Um, so when he was saying, he goes, and I was there on the number one tee box, an old belly boy, we'll call him. He would sit there, and he was going to hit it, and would you believe he towed that ball? And that ball came flying, and it went boom, and it hit me right there. Oh, and I've still got the bruise. And so finally, it's like, when that was over, I said, Papa, um, I think that bruise is not the golf ball bruise. I think that bruise is you retelling the story, Bruce. <laughs> and the truth is, is that a lot of our pain, it hurt in that moment. It hurt. And that we're not taken away from that. But folks, there's a ton of us who carry that pain to this day. Because we won't let it go. And we rehearse it. And every time we share the story, we want somebody to recognize the pain as deep as we felt it in that moment. And we actually cultivate that pain and we keep it alive in us. And there comes a point to where you don't make light of it. It's not that it wasn't painful. It wasn't a place of hurt or a place of failure. But at some point, you say, you know what? I'm going to let this go and I'm going to let this heal. And I'm going to move on. And one day I can tell this story and not have to have the pain involved. See, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, Forget about what happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands. That's what the message translation says. We have to make sure that we release that because it will keep us trapped in the past. Safe will also keep us satisfied with today. Sometimes all we want to do, sometimes all we want to do is just find one little place where everything's going to be okay and let's just stay right there. 
It's going to be okay. Let's just stay right here and it'll keep us satisfied with today. Now, folks, there is a difference between contentment and satisfaction. We're to be content in everything we're told in scriptures. Be able to sit there and, and life may not be exactly where we want it to go, but it's not robbing us of our joy today. You have joy laid up for you today. It's not, oh my goodness, when I get that promotion or, or my spouse finally starts to treat me right or, or any of these different things or when this relationship gets healed, oh, I'm going to have so much joy. It's not joy is not this destination that's somehow far off and there's all these little hurdles and things getting in the way of it and blocking it up. If you would just sit there and relax and, and place your attention on God, He can be your joy in the middle of a lot of things that aren't very joyful. You have joy today. Don't waste it. Don't say, oh man, one day I'm going to have some. No, you have joy laid up today. He is your exceedingly great reward. God is in Him alone. And you start putting your joy and wrapping it up in anything but Him, and you are lying to yourself because when you get it, the joy won't be there either. Because it's in Him, in Him alone. But this place of satisfaction, this place of status quo, where you're like, God, you know what? Pretty much just, you can just kind of leave me alone here, you know? I, I'm pretty good here. You know, and, and as, a, as a dad, Cutie and I have had this conversation lots and lots of times, you know, when we have the kiddos. And, you know, I remember I think the first time we did it, when I said this, is when Carson was three, Lulu was five, and and uh, Weston was seven, and Brooker's was nine, and Keenan was 11. And so we didn't have any teenagers in the house. We didn't have anybody in diapers. Life was pretty good. And we're like, let's just, if, man, if we could just hold this right here. What a wonderful family. This is just great. Man, I just enjoy my kids, and I just, oh, this is so wonderful. I, man, I, I wish we'd just hold this right here. And then the next year would roll around, and they were all a year older. I was like, oh, you know what? This, this is great. Let's just, let's just hold this right here. And then we'd do it the next year, and we actually had a teenager in the house. And, and you're like, oh, my goodness, and life's still good. And I still enjoy them. And then we had a couple of teenagers in the house. And, and then all of a sudden, we have lots of teenagers in the house. And you're like, this is still good. I still like them. I still like to be around them. This is fun. They get my jokes, even though they're terrible. You got to have you got to have a certain mental acuity to recognize even a bad pun, even a bad one. And so, and, and it was just and every time. And finally, I was like, you know what? This is just silly to think that this is the best it's ever going to be. It just keeps getting better and better. And little did I know that there were two little lives. That had I had what I wanted, I wouldn't have those sweet little blonde heads running around. I wouldn't have had them. I didn't know. All of these different things that we looked, we, we want to sit there and we want to say, man, this is so sweet. This is so wonderful. God, just leave me right here. I've trusted you. I've followed you. It, it took everything that I had. I just felt like I barely hung on with my fingernails. and Just leave me alone and leave me right here. I'll be good. That's not living a life of faith. That's not understanding all the goodness that he has stored up for you. Man, 
God has so much ahead for you. We, we can tend to try to look back and get nostalgia, but guess what? Those moments weren't as good as they look in the rearview mirror. You go back and they were hard. But they had some sweet moments. But guess what? The stuff ahead isn't it as hard as it looks right now. There's some sweet moments laying ahead for you. And we can get satisfied with the day. Exodus 2.11 says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He could have just stayed. He could have just not cared. He could have just stayed in his little cocoon of the Pharaoh's house and said, you know what? Beatings happen every day. They're slaves. But one day he decided it was time to care. One day he decided, I can't be satisfied with this anymore. And then the next thing that being trying to keep, play it safe instead of living by faith, it'll keep you afraid of tomorrow. Exodus 4.13 says, but Moses said, Pharaoh I mean, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. You're calling me, you're asking me, please send somebody else. They rejected me, they didn't like me. I ran away from Egypt. I don't want to go back to that place. Send somebody else. The future doesn't look good the way you're asking me to go. See, Judges 6, 15 says, Gideon says, Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. This is where Gideon is called of God to rise up and to begin to be a leader and to to lead Israel. Every baby dedication that we do, we pray over this moment in every child's life. That the call and the design of God is bigger than them. And they're going to have their burning bush moment. They're going to have their Gideon moment. And we pray in advance that they will be able to say, yes, Lord. This is bigger than me and it kind of freaks me out a little bit. But God, I'm going to go with you anyways. My God, how how wonderful is it going to be? These kids step up and they do it. How amazing it's going to be when these kids begin to step up and live lives. Instead of sheep are scared, safe lives, they begin to live radical, crazy, trust God kind of lives. Folks, the safe little sweet picket fence America is gone. It's gone. It's gone. Today is a day of radical love and radical faith. And nothing else is going to make a difference. Nothing else will. We want to take some final words from Moses as he's kind of throwing those over his shoulder as he's running back up to the stands. I think Moses would tell us to live by faith. We have to recognize that God is already at work in you. Being aware of God's, what he's doing today is so important, not just for today, but for tomorrow as well. See, Hebrews 11.23, it it points this out when we look at the Moses story. In retrospect, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were going to go against it and they were going to believe that not only 
could Moses live but have a significant impact? God was already at work in Moses' life before Moses had any idea what was happening. Also, to live by faith means to refuse to be defined by anything but God. You understand that there are pressures, pressures from people that mean well, pressures from yourself to be defined by so many different things. Moses, he could have lived in the lap of luxury. He could have stayed there. He could have been defined by Pharaoh's household, but he chose not to. He took the risky decision and chose not to be defined that way. Hebrews 11.24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And then the last thing you need to be aware of is that to live by faith impacts those around you. It's not just about you. It's about those that are around you. Another great moment in Moses' story as we, we kind of fast forward through a lot of awesome times of him having face-to-face confrontations with, with the most powerful man on the planet and God showing up in miraculous, crazy ways. And then finally, Pharaoh says, all right, you can all leave. I'm done. I've been beat down. I'm, we're, we're done with this. Just get out of my sight and never let me see you or anybody again. And they leave. One to three to four million. It just determines on whose count you go by. But there was a ton of people leave. And an entire nation, this is the only time it's ever happened in history, that a nation comes out of another nation. Here it it comes out. They don't have a land. They don't have anything. And they're just being turned loose. They have a promise of the land that God was going to give Abraham, one guy, to all his descendants. And now all of this million plus people need a home. They need a country. They need a place. And as they're leaving, they get caught, and Pharaoh finally is like, this is dumb. We're going to have to do our own work. Our labor force just left. Gets his army. He's mad. He says, go get them. The army, the most powerful army in the world, is chasing them down at their heels, and they come up to the Red Sea, and they're stuck. And God tells him to do something that seems goofy. Hold your staff up. Okay? holds it up and the waters part and a really creepy thing is asked of them and that's to walk through those walls of water and to go across that dry ground and get to the other side and they walk across to the other side and and the enemy is taken care of and they're safe on the other side of a huge barrier that that group can't ever chase them effectively again And Moses' assignment wasn't just about Moses. It was about all of the Hebrew people. And it goes all the way back to the promise made to Abraham. See, Hebrews 11, 28 says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. 
Moses' faith, his willingness to live a life that looked like risk, but it's not. Trusting God is never a real risk. He's the one who's got this under control. He's the one that sees the eternal perspective. He's the one that is guiding this thing. And we have to understand that, that when we get that God loves us so much and is so for us, then we really can step into that place where we can run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. We really can do it because he's so for us. I want us to create a quiet moment here. I want us to create a place where those who are wanting to connect with what God is doing. You say, Brandon, 